chapter 5, Ephesians, verses 1 to 7. And this will be the last message on this section. Do I need to do multiple messages on punishment? Okay. I just, just curious. I can drag this out if you want. Okay. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Father, you have shown us much in the last months. And Father, I ask that as we conclude this text, we understand the urgency that you have for us to walk in love. And it must be the love that you've poured in our hearts to the Spirit of the living God. So Father, if you could, please, strengthen each of us for the task that is as hand, that we may walk worthy, that we may walk as imitators. May we walk in love just as Christ also loved us. As beloved children, may we come to Abba, Father, and rejoice, giving thanks Guard us, Lord. Help us. In Christ's name. Amen. This section I call it is a walk in love. Uh, I shared with you, once you leave chapter 3, everything becomes practical. These are things to do. Now, the issue here is the first three chapters tells you you can't do it. But because of the first three chapters, the Spirit of God will do it through you. Okay? I've used this illustration before, but I'll remind you. I hear a lot of people that say, we are like cups, and God pours into us, and it fills up, and it pours over the side, and as it pours over the side, we become the testimony of Christ. Um, I like an illustration but not that much. I think that we are cups and we need to knock the bottom out of it and stick it in the stream and let the blessing of God go through to the point that the cup ain't seen anymore. 
Okay? Because then you realize that it is the flow that is doing it. It is not you. You are but a container. You know, the people that I have dealt with this last week and in my past are in a realm of people that I have known and interacted with for, for long periods of time, perhaps lifestyles even. And some of you would be extremely uncomfortable. But you know what? There's probably people in your life that would make me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> and, and, I, and I share that because it is for such a time as this that you and I have been placed here. I shared with some of you before we started this book that I had a concern that this book would have a scouring effect. And, you know, well, you know, are you sure this, that? Because I knew the main thing about this book is the oneness of the church. Okay? But if you think about it, even as small as we are, there are some seriously diverse backgrounds here. And yet, in the power of Jesus Christ, in the position that each of us are in Christ... There's oneness. But one of the things that I watch happening in the church today is we will compromise for the sake of oneness. And, 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 and it always comes back to if we can show unity, then lost people are going to say, wow, that's kind of cool. Have you watched the news the last week or so? Plenty of unity around, isn't there? I mean, I sure thought it was the United States, but I guess I was kind of wrong. Okay? But I've been alive long enough to say, this ain't new. Gee whiz, this ain't new. Okay? When, when I, I, I think about it, true unity can only happen in the person of Christ. Okay? And I knew that if you taught that, the theology of it in the beginning, the requirement in the end, which is the letter to the Ephesians, that it would have an effect because people, everybody I know has their idea of what church is. I mean, lost people have their idea what church is. Okay, and it's it's sad because saved and lost don't seem to really know what church is. It is the manifestation of Christ in a lost and dying world in the oneness of the saints that is similar to the oneness of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay? Yippee. Chapter 4, verse 1 started out with, I implore you to walk worthy in a manner worthy of this calling. This is church. He gave you your position in Christ in the first three chapters. Who are you now that you are a Christian? What does that mean? And I mean, I can go back through it. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. 
You are one with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Do I need to go on? It is all there. I guess the power and potential exists in every Christian at the moment of their salvation. It's already there. The problem is all the stuff we've been dealing with in chapter 4 and 5. Not be angry. Do not speak falsehood. Don't walk like the Gentiles. Don't walk in the futility of their minds. Maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So this is church. We had three chapters of doctrine. I've had this conversation twice this week with unbelievers. And it was amazing to me. They said, well, I've been to churches. I've been to a couple of churches in Casarock. He said, they're like rock concerts. These are unbelievers. And they both caused me to fall out of my chair when they said, why aren't they teaching doctrine? And you're like, what? And I'm sitting there going, how's come an unbeliever knows that? But that's the day and the age that we are in. I've shown you that this walk of love, the plea there was in the first two verses. And the Apostle Paul's walk in love. Be imitators of God. Why? You are beloved children. You are beloved children. So do this. Be mimics of God. How does God do it? He walks in love. Showed you the pattern there in the second part of verse 2. Just as Christ also loved you. Just as Christ also loved you. Okay? And we all said amen and amen. Christ's love was selfless. Christ's love was forgiving. Remember that? But then I also showed you that the Apostle Paul and his wisdom being directed by the Holy Spirit said, do you understand that there is a counterfeit love out there? It's fake. It was created by the father of lies. By the great deceiver. And we went through that. It's a love that is self-centered. It is a love that is unforgiving. It is a love that is conditional. It is a love that in essence, to use my definition, would be, I love me and I like what you can do for me. And once you quit doing for me, hasta la bye-bye. Okay? These, and it, listen, it's all around us. It's all, I see it in family units. I've seen families that you would say, okay, blood sticker and water. Not anymore. I've seen some families that are so brutal, you're like, and you guys are related? So that corruption, that counterfeit love has grown. And it's all around us. Okay, that's the introduction. Now I want to drop into your favorite topic, the punishment. The punishment. 
It's pretty interesting where he starts it out there in verse 5. For this you know with certainty. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems pretty straightforward. This you know for certainty. Okay? And then he says this, that no, stop right there. Okay, that's not one of those by the hair of you, chinny, chin, chin, you did. No, no, you know this for certainty. No. No immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You see how many is going in? No. Zero. Zip. Nada. And you know this for certain. Okay? I mean, he basically took the list there in verse 3 and, and just said it, and that persons that have no place in the kingdom of God would be practicing immorality. No person would be dealing with impurity, you know, that stench. Nobody would be greedy. And then he says, you know, that's idolatry. No practicing idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. You know what he's saying in a, in a, in a, in a Terry mood? You ain't saved. Okay? I don't care what you say. I don't care how much Bible you say you know. If you're doing that, no. No. I was talking to a guy. He's a, he's a professional musician. He's funny. And he's trying to share his theology. I don't know. And uh, I told him, I said, well, you know, songwriters have done it. And I said, I learned a long time ago that it was a stairway to heaven. And I also knew that it was a highway to hell. All right, so one's going to be wide and full, and the other one's going to be slim. And I said, and not everybody talking about heaven's going. If you live like that, then all you have to know is you're not saved. Don't worry about it. You're just not saved. Don't sit there and say, well, I'm going to try to justify it. No, you're not saved. That is not that hard to understand in that text. You are not in God's kingdom. Remember what we looked at this morning in the Lord's table? Examine yourself. All right? There are no fornicators. In case you were wondering, none. There are no unclean people. In case you were wondering, none. There are no covetous. None. There are no idolaters. None. Okay, let me give you a quick definition of idolatry. Anything I put before Christ. Okay? Anything I put before Christ is idolatry. If you have a whole bunch of things, or maybe you just got two or three, or maybe you're just really good and you got one thing that is before Christ, I want to tell you today, you're not going to heaven. Well, that's mean. I didn't write it. Okay? 
Listen, he's saying here, you who are beloved of God, that is not your lifestyle. Why? Your lifestyle has changed from the first three chapters. You have a new lifestyle. I shared with you that one time that MacArthur had that billionaire friend. They played golf together. He was unsaved. The guy asked him one day, he says, you praying for me to be saved? And MacArthur said, yeah. And he said, uh, well, I don't want to be saved. And John said, well, I don't care whether you want it or not. He says, John, I don't think you understand. I got my own private jet. I've got a limousine driver. I can go anywhere in the world anytime I want to. I've got girlfriends, as many as I want, anytime I want them. I says, I've got everything I need in plenty. I don't want to give all that up for your salvation. John smiled at him and said, you don't give it up. And the guy's like, what? He said, at the moment of salvation, God changes all the price tags. The things that you used to look at that were valuable, not so much anymore. These things over here are valuable. And I think, you know, that is a perfect illustration. What's important to you? We are not those people who are in the world. That ain't us. That ain't us. Do you have any idea or any doubt reading that verse about God's attitude towards immorality? It doesn't seem that complicated, does it? Do you see why we shouldn't do that? Do you see that? Did you see, you see that right there? You ain't going to heaven. It should be a motivation. I think that'd be a motivation. Oh, that's, hmm. shoot. Yeah. I mean, Peter ain't even going to ask you the question at the gate. He's just going to sit there and go, you got to be kidding. But remember what we looked at last week? We shouldn't even talk about it. That's God's attitude. We are the children of God, beloved of Christ. That should be our motivation. We are the holy ones. Remember that at the end of verse 3? We are the saints. Hagias. The holy ones, the called out ones, the set aside ones, the separate ones. That's us. Some of your translations will even call it, we are the peculiar ones. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, how cool is that? Paul's saying we must act according to our identity. That's why he stated there at the beginning of verse 5, this you know because you are beloved of God, because you're a citizen of heaven, because you are beloved of Christ. This you should know. Did you know that some in the body of Christ don't know this? Think I'm kidding? I have fought this in this church multiple, multiple, multiple times. Well, we are living together. 
but God sees us as married. <laughs> no, I don't. What? That's how I win friends and influence enemies. No, you're not. I had a couple, it's been years ago, came in, and they're all, they're like the blinking of the eyes, and we're in love. So I said, they said, well, we want you to do our wedding and everything. I thought, okay. And I set them down to talk. And they explained, I asked them when were they saved. They told me when they were saved and all the rest of them. Then I asked them and <laughs> talk about <laughs> sometimes my job is such a joy. So I asked them, you having sex? Um. Yeah. Well, I don't know how you would know whether God wants you to get married or not then. I mean, if you're in open rebellion to Him, how do you know what His will is? Every time I'm in rebellious to Him, I'm standing in the dark. <laughs> I don't know nothing. Okay. Now, I might act like I do, but I know I don't know nothing. So, you know, people, people, I've used that illustration before. People are afraid to death for me to do their wedding. I know he's going to ask. How embarrassing could that be? I don't know. Depends on your answer. See what I'm trying to get at? You can't live together and say, well, God sees us as husband and wife. See? But see, that's what we do. Well, it's not really, it, the physical attraction was so amazing. Yeah, wait till you see him face to face. This you know. And what I'm trying to explain, and Paul understood it even at the writing of this letter, that the perverted form of love is sexual. And that's a perversion. This you know. Okay? No person who lives like that is in the kingdom. But I've heard them argue it. Well, being in the kingdom is different than going to heaven. Dude, you're getting into some spiritual yoga. See? That's what we do. Listen, if you're truly saved at the moment of your salvation, instantly, I don't, listen, when I got saved, I knew what the 23rd Psalm was, and I'd heard that prayer thing. Our Father who art in heaven, hallelujah be your name, whatever it was. I knew that. That was the extent of my Bible understanding. I had a Bible. But I kind of carried it like a rabbit's foot. You know, I, I got this thing here and it keep me out of trouble, maybe. But when I got saved, I knew instantaneously there's a change. I've shared with you, uh, I worked in construction and a few other odds and ends. And uh, we have a very colorful language that we use in construction that doesn't accomplish anything any faster. It just... Gosh, you sound brutish. Okay? And the moment I was saved, 
That bothered me. Profanity, today it bothers me. Okay? And then all of a sudden these other things started bothering me, which never bothered me. When you are saved, there is an instant change. You don't know why. Unless, I mean, I didn't know what the Bible said. And I remember I was released from public housing. And I found a pastor. It was a Wednesday. And I said, I need to be baptized. He said, all right. So he baptized me. Okay, what do I do now? He said, read the Gospel of John. Hallelujah. Went and got my Bible. And, Where is it at? And then you go, it's halfway through your book. Why would you start in the middle of a book? I mean, I can understand reading the ending of a book or the beginning of a book, but why would you start in the middle of a book and read it? And then I run into them. There's four of these things. They all say the same thing. Why do we... Pete and repeat were sitting on a fence and Pete fell off. What's left? I was like, we got to read this thing four times? But then I've been in the ministry long enough to say, you need to repeat it more than that. See? We have a new nature. It starts at the instance of our salvation. Now listen. There may be a time that a believer falls, perhaps stumbles, but let me tell you something. It will never be a continuing characteristic. Okay? From time of their salvation, you are... Remember what he told Nicodemus, Jesus? You are born again. You know what that means? Well, for one thing, you're starting over. But the other thing is, you have a new nature. That's how I know that I am saved. I have a new nature. I know who I used to be. Salvation is based on repentance. The things that you used to think were really important, and not so much. See, if you are saved, you learn this instantaneously. If you look at uh, Titus 2.11... I don't like that part. That part says older men. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Got that? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Listen, what the church has done to grace is blasphemous. Okay, you can't understand grace until you understand the stink hole you came out of. Because once you understand the depth of your depravity, then yes, it is amazing grace. But what I see people doing with grace today, I'm going to have premarital sex because God is gracious. Not the God I know. I got, I, see, that's what repentance is. When I change directions, do you realize it wasn't because, oh, yeah, that makes sense? No. 
I was never that smart. I understood it because it was grace. It was grace. Your salvation teaches you to deny that that is not right. That is salvation. That is the essence of it. When you are saved, you learn much at that instant. Now, as you continue to walk, you will learn more. Because I guarantee you, everybody here at the moment of your salvation had absolutely, absolutely zero zilts, nada, patience. But as you walk, you learn patience. Right? I, you, the instant you're saved, there's all kinds of things. Well, I know I can't steal. And oh, I think I looked at them with lust. Oop, I'm not touching that. Why am I? Why am I dwelling on that so much? Why am I doing this? But you know what? There was no such thing as patience. And then somewhere in there you read it and you're like, well, who wrote that? See, salvation teaches us sin. You never thought of that, would you? I'm saved now. I start understanding who God is. I start learning what sin is. You know, I knew I was a warped old bird, but man, I didn't realize I was that bad. I mean, I thought, man, to the degree of loss that I was, I would have to look up to see the bottom of hell. Salvation teaches us that sin bothers us. Bothers us. You know, I see some of these people who stand in great pride of killing of infants telling me what the Bible says. And you're like, well, man, do you know how hot that place is you're going? But salvation also teaches us godliness. And that's basic. Do you understand that's basic salvation? And we also understand that others have no part of this. I'm going to give you a verse. And you know what? You should should probably really hang on to this one and make a note and color cards or however you do yours with little tab things and whatever. I taught on this a few years ago. What about a Christian who gets drawn into this, gets caught in something? You've heard me say it that you know I've, I've dealt with, I dealt with a pastor. He said he fell into adultery, and I'm like, "No, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't. Just I was walking along and poof, look. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't, dude." And I took him to this text, and this thing goes with any sin that seems to get get a hold of you and master you. Now, listen, this can be anything. This can be uh, spending too much money. It can be wanting a bigger house, wanting a smaller house, uh, wanting a clean house, or I don't know. I guess everybody wants a clean house, don't they? Anyway, that's not a sin. I'm just kidding. You know, your, your house is clean. You're sinning. <laughs> okay. Uh that, yeah, don't, don't, don't press that one. But, you know, you just, uh, there are things that 
cause you to sin. And, and what I mean by that, go back, does it have a priority over you and Jesus? I hate to tell you, that's a sin. Okay? Young ladies, it can be little boys. Little boys, it can be young ladies. Well, you know what? Old men, it can still be ladies. What am I saying? It's, you just never know these days. Okay? And women, too. I'm equal rights. All right, let me give you this before I dig too deep a hole. When I get trapped into a sin, okay? James chapter 1, 14 and 15. Each one is tempted. Now, the context is God can't tempt you. All right? Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Okay, the word lust is epithumia. Okay, epi intensifies it. Thumia is desire. Okay, you can epithumia Jesus Christ. Okay, and there's nothing wrong with it. The word in and of itself is not wrong. Okay, lust, when we think about it. Okay, but he says here, each one is tempted when he's carried away, and then he uses the word enticed. All right, something... Uh, Something shiny. Look, I think I, I think I want that. There's a pretty one there. Okay? It carries me away. All right? Then when lust is conceived. You know what that means, right? It's birthed. It is, I guess if you really wanted to use a technical term for it, it is pregnant. Okay, I am tempted when my lust is conceived. Okay, see, it starts off with something floating around between your ears. Okay, now First John tells me it's lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Okay, that's the three things you have to fight against. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Here he's saying, I am tempted when my lust... Okay, so something has either come through my eyes, through my flesh, or my pride. When the lust is conceived, okay, you've got it in your head. You've been playing with it. Okay, you're thinking about it. It's bouncing around between your ears. You keep thinking, you keep thinking, you keep thinking... And then what does it say? Gives birth to sin. It goes from the thought to the action. To the action. Right? Then look what it says. When sin is accomplished, what happens? Brings forth death. Okay, do you know that that death is instantaneous? Okay, he's not talking here that, you know, I had this lustful thought and I touched it and I just fell over dead. Okay, no, your spiritual life is dead. That's why when I ask a young couple, are you having sex? And they say yes, then I know that their spiritual life is dead. 
you wouldn't know no more than a man in the moon what God's will was. Okay? Because you started with it in your head. And you played with it long enough that you acted on it. When you acted on it, it gave forth to sin. And sin, when it's done, is what? Once you sin, think about Adam and Eve. If you eat of this fruit, you will surely die in 672 years. No. They died spiritually instantaneously. You know how I know that? I'm going to go hide from God. That is pretty spiritually dead. So when you look at this and you think about it, to keep yourself from getting trapped, don't play with it. Don't entertain it in your head. Well, I wonder what it would be like if I fill in the blank. Don't play with it. Because listen, now for me, maybe this will help you. For me, if I have to justify it, I don't need it. Okay, because if I've got to justify it, then that is something I'm lusting after. I have an intense desire for it. And therefore, let me justify my intense desire. Okay? And I mean, it can be be anything. I need a carburetor for a motorcycle. Uh, you can't get a rebuild kit for it because, you know me, I own one of the kinds. And so I found one. And... $562. So, my goal for the last eight months is I'm rounding up. I go with 570 Okay? And inevitably, $600 would show up in my hand. Thank you, Jesus. And then I'd have a $700 bill out here. Okay. And I'd do something else. Ooh! Six hundred twenty-two fifty. Here I come. This is due. And then they took five hundred dollars from my eyes. And you're sitting there going, "All right, I get the point." So instead of a carburetor, I'm gonna just take a water bottle with a hose, fire it in there, and squeeze it, squeeze, 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 and look like the Beverly Hillbillies going down the road. Just kidding. Listen, don't let the game play in your ears. Don't play with it. Okay? It will frustrate you. And it can eventually cause you to sin. And if it causes you to sin, know that you will step into spiritual death. And you'll be wandering around wondering what God's doing. And He's telling me I ain't doing nothing until you fix that. Because 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we... Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Confess our sins means, Lord, you know what? You're right. That's a sin. Okay? There will be times when we as Christians do fail. But you know what is awesome? He forgives. Once you acknowledge that you have failed. Our problem is we don't want to acknowledge we've failed. They get really dumb like I used to be. I bet I can fix it. I didn't fail, but I'll keep digging. 
It will not be a pattern of your life to live like that. We should see holiness in each of us. A sanctified heart. A sanctified life. A holy life. A set-apart life. The world does not have this big draw on us. I mean, doesn't mean I don't move in and out of the world. I mean, I'm passing through. But it's not going to be my anchor. See, holiness is definitely a change in your life. And it happens at salvation. I try to tell people, you're as holy now as you're ever going to be. You're not going to get any holier. Okay, now you may not act like it, but you ain't getting any holier. That's how forgiven you are. Verse 6, back to Ephesians. Let no one deceive you. Remember what he said. If you have these as a pattern in your life, immorality, uncleanness, idolatry, covetousness, if these are part of your life, you're not getting in. And then he says here, don't let nobody deceive you. Don't let somebody says, well, yeah, but you understand, do you understand how much grace God gives you? I've heard that. No one deceive you. You can't do this and be a Christian. It doesn't mean it can't happen and you fall. But at some point, you've got to back away and say, I'm a beloved child of God. I'm a holy citizen. I can't do this. Because I've seen Christians who are wrapped up in sin and they are the most miserable creatures you ever run into. Because they know what they're doing is wrong. And they try to overcome it. Don't let anyone tell you you can live like this. It'd be fine. God loves you. He's gracious. You know, I walked an aisle. I said a prayer. Don't let anybody deceive you. That is not a sign of salvation. Salvation is the immediate re response of salvation is repentance. And in that repentance, you want to grow in your knowledge of God. So I understand more of what his grace is. And then I understand more of my depravity. As I understand more of my depravity, then I understand more of what his grace is. And it becomes this massive thing that you walk around with an illegal smile. I'm Jesus' child. God's my papa. And people look at you. What's the matter with you? I'm going to heaven. What's the matter with you? You read on there and it says, if they deceive you, it's with empty words. Empty words. It literally means useless. It's... Have you ever heard people talk and they never say anything? Is it baby, blah, 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 Bob, Fred, Tom, t t yep, run, jump, hop, yep, nope, yep, all right, car, bicycle. I mean, that, that's what he's saying here. What is it? Useless words that don't mean anything. 
And people will try to tell you that in the name of love, I can sing my brains out. No, you can't. Because of these very things, this past list, look what it says. For because of these things, do you see what it says? The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That's not a characteristic of the children beloved of God. These characteristics are children of disobedience. Look at verse 6. It ends with the sons of disobedience. But if you look at verse 1, we are beloved children. We are no longer sons of disobedience. That means we would be sons of obedience. Verse 7, therefore, therefore is summarized. Let me tell you what we've just been through. Do not be partakers with them. Don't join the evil world, even in the name of God's love, grace, and mercy. Don't join with them. Listen, the past is in the past. All right? I, I, how many times do I look in the past and say, well, what if? Guess what? There's no such thing. I've done some horrible things in my life. And you know what? I have an adversary who every once in a while just wants to come up and poke me right in the head with it. Well, if you would have done, oh, shut up. That's what I tell him. Shut up. I ain't listening to you. Past is the past. Stay away from self-centered, conditional, unforgiving love. It's counterfeit. See, the Lord offers selfless love. The Lord offers forgiving and unconditional love. And then when all else fails, we thank Him for His love. I've been praying that He would protect each and every one of us from things that are not named in this list. See, these we can spot. <laughs> I saw you. Okay. But you know what? It's hard to see coveting. And yes, it is a step hold for idolatry. And you saw what idolatry was, right? Don't even get to the gate. So we are to walk in love. We saw Paul's plea. We see Christ as the pattern. We see that our adversary has perverted it. And we see that God does not take it lightly. The wrath of God against the sons of disobedience. And disobedience is listed right there as I listed it out. So let us remember this as we partake of the Lord's table. We celebrate the price that we didn't have to pay. Okay? And be thankful for what He's done. 
and anticipate what he's going to do. I'm ready. Let's rock this universe. (laughs) Anyway, let's pray. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Thank you so much for your word. Lord, there's times that it convicts, but Father, there's times that you can rest assured in your truth that, you know what? You will make us overcomers. Father, we all have things that uh, that we've done wrong. We've brought shame to You. But Father, I ask You cast that from us. The accuser will not use it against us. You will protect us and guard our minds, hearts in Christ Jesus. And Father, as we read in James, let us not play with the temptation. So Father, help us. Help us to walk in a manner worthy. In Christ's name, amen.